Religious Zionism Party, which espouses anti-Arab policies. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the end of the week, Friday the 4th of November. A warm welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. Chief Executive John Lee said on Thursday that Hong Kong had secured early accession to the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, the world's largest free trade agreement. Mr Lee said substantive discussions with member states were set to begin next year and the city had a great deal to contribute. The Hong Kong Monetary Authority has raised interest rates for the sixth time in eight months, mirroring the US Federal Reserve. The 75 basis points rate increase takes place with immediate effect. Hong Kong's base rate now sits at a fresh 14-year high of 4.25%. And following the decision, HSBC, Standard Chartered, Bank of China, Bank of East Asia and Hang Seng Bank all announced 25 basis point increases in their prime lending rates. The Bank of England has raised interest rates by the most in 33 years and warned that the UK faces the longest recession since records began. The bank lifted interest rates by 75 basis points to 3%, the biggest jump since 1989. The bank believes the economy already entered a challenging downturn this summer, which will continue next year and into the first half of 2024, shrinking by 2.9% in total. And that will be the longest recession since the 1920s. New economic data from the mainland showed China's services sector contracted at a faster pace in October. The Kaishin Service PMI, which surveys smaller private companies, came in at a six-month low of 48.4 versus 49.3 in the previous month. And the S&P Global Hong Kong PMI rose to 49.3 in October from 48 in the previous month, but private sector activity remained in contraction for the second straight month. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Sam Fever, CEO at Mandarin Capital. And with a view from India is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stocks closed lower for a fourth consecutive session ahead of the jobs reports later today. The S&P 500 lost 1.1% to finish at 3,720. The Dow slid 147 points, or half a percent, to close at 32,001. And Nasdaq Composite shed 1.7% to settle at 10,343. And the Nasdaq is down over 6% from the highs on Wednesday, right before Jerome Powell started speaking at his press conference. The Pan-European Stock 600 index fell 0.9%. London's FTSE 100 rose 0.6%. Hong Kong stocks tumbled Thursday after Chinese health authorities reiterated support for the country's strict zero-COVID policy. As statements from the National Health Commission said we must as ever pay close attention to control of the COVID-19 pandemic and absolutely not waver from the overall strategy of preventing the virus from entering from without and from rebounding within. 
And it went on to say we must work to control sudden outbreaks of the pandemic as quickly and at as low a cost as possible. That brought an end to a two-day rebound fueled by unsubstantiated claims on social media that a committee was being formed to assess scenarios on how to exit zero COVID and put together a conditional reopening plan. On Thursday, the Hang Seng Index sank 488 points, or 3.1%, to 15,339, leading losses across the Asia-Pacific region. The Hang Seng Tech Index slumped 3.8%. The Shanghai Composite Index dropped 0.2% to 2,998. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 1.5% lower at $94.67 a barrel. Gold is down at $1,630 an ounce. Bond yields ticked higher as traders assessed the latest 75 basis points rate hike from the Fed. The yield on the two-year Treasury note hit its highest level since July 2007, while the 10-year Treasury yield climbed nine basis points to 4.15%. And the two- to 10-year portion of the yield curve hit its most inverted level since 1982. The US dollar index rose to the highest level since October the 21st. The euro this morning is lower at 97.5 cents. The Japanese yen also weaker at 148.36. Sterling extended earlier heavy losses to the lowest level since mid-October and was down almost 2% on the day at $1.11.5 after the Bank of England stressed the peak in rates will be, rates will be lower than priced into financial markets. Against the local currency, it's at 8 Hong Kong dollars and 77 cents. Offshore Chinese yuan is trading at 7.33 versus the dollar. And Bitcoin this morning is up half a percent at $20,200. Stocks in Australia are on the slide at the open. The ASX 200 down 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has slumped 1.4% at the open. The Cosby bucking the trend. It's up about a quarter of a percent and does look like the Hang Seng is going to put on a small gain of about 80 points at the open this morning. Let's welcome our regular Friday morning commentator, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. And joining him on this Friday morning is Sam Favreau, the Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning to you, Sam. Morning, Peter. Uh, Let's start with the central banks. The HKMA has raised interest rates for the sixth time in eight months. The 75 basis point rate increase does take uh, take place with immediate effect. And that puts the base rate at a fresh 14-year high of four and a quarter percent. And after that, uh, the main lending banks here in Hong Kong, HSBC, Standard Chartered, Bank of China, Bank of East Asia and Hang Seng Bank, all announced 25 basis points increases in their prime lending rates. Um, Andrew, what do you think about this? Comes at a bad time for the Hong Kong economy, doesn't it? Can it yeah. withstand these rising rates? In, it does indeed. And uh, I must admit, I sidetracked very quickly. I loved all this. It's the highest ever, the lowest ever. It has <laughs> been as bad as it has been. I want to change the English language. So prices soared to new lows and uh, rose to new depths. I mean, why not confuse the poor clients even more? Yeah, it's bad, bad news. Uh, as, you, as you say, it comes that uh, the economy had uh, three 
successive, I was going to say successful, <laughs> and successive negative GDP growth. Okay, and more likely than not, 22 is going to prove uh, a year of negative growth as well. And on top of that, uh, we have another 75 small nails hitting the coffin. We have no choice, really, do we? We're obliged oh, to import the U.S. monetary policy. We, we chose to do that. Um, and, and it's not really fitting where we are in the economy at the moment, but, but no choice, is there? It is interesting to think that uh, as Hong Kong became more tightly managed overall, with mainland playing a very significant role, <laughs> Hong Kong's monetary policy is run by the United States. Yeah, actually, I'm a great believer in the peg. Okay? And the last thing we should or could be doing now is to do anything to jeopardize this, and there is the, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority acts the way it should be acting. It is interesting to note that banks don't raise interest rates by 75s. Mm. Okay, and actually the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, when we are on an uptrend on rates, because the Fed, sometimes they wait before they raise. So in other words, the, the interest rates Hong Kong may lag, not now. Sam, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on this? Well, obviously, it's hitting the economy at a bad time, plus it's going to have an impact on uh, where it's more sensitive, which is real estate. Mm. So, uh, and given there's so much wealth and uh, savings tied to that sector, it's definitely bad news for, for Hong Kong. But again, uh, the government doesn't really have the choice. I mean, they, have, they want to have a peg. They don't really have the choice that to move in step. And actually, they may have to move even more aggressive because we're still seeing, seeing capital outflows. So uh, by any standard, it's not, uh, it's not finished. And the tightening is general. I mean, if you look at the high ball across the curve, it's been tightening quite significantly. Mm. So the impact will be, uh, you know, quite quite broad. People with mortgages are going to feel this, aren't they? Well, yeah. And given the sector is already depressed, at the same time, you know, uh, a bit of a fall in real estate prices, I guess, will be quite beneficial for a lot of people as well. So for the masses. What can um, the government do to try and offset this in terms of fiscal policy? Is there anything they can do to try and uh, sort of, if you like, soften the blow from these higher interest rates? I think it's quite limited at the moment because uh, they don't really control the, the whole sector, the whole economy, given that China is closed. So they have very, very little uh, room to maneuver. So if you're talking purely domestic uh, domestic stimulus is still going to be quite marginal in terms of the overall capacity of the economy. I mean, they've been doing their job to try to stimulate to, to stimulate the economy. Um, I, th I know the government is pretty, um, you know, pretty responsible in fiscal spending, so I'm not sure they're going to do much more. They probably have a bit more of uh, of rooms to maneuver, but at the end of the day, they're not really in control. And, uh, some hits the, the the nail on the head because when it comes, for example, to cut taxes. Uh, in Hong Kong, there is a relatively limited thing you can do. Actually, Peter, I'm going to stick my neck out. Possibly I will give a completely wrong number. But the number of people in Hong Kong that pay income tax is tiny. Mm, it's a very low tax base. Uh, actually, when I, when I feel in my form, I keep saying I'm the lucky ones among something like 150,000 that actually pay income tax. Okay, so cutting income tax will be completely pointless. Uh, cutting, uh, sorry. Uh, but our cutting, finances couldn't stand that at the moment uh, anyway, could well, they? Uh, yeah, well, let's not forget that uh, the major source of uh, income for the government in Hong Kong is stamp duty and sales of land. Mm. And this, of course, okay, are not going to be uh, in <laughs> one of their best shapes ever. But uh, as Sam said, fiscal policy in Hong Kong is limited. The only thing they could do is... Uh, load up the octopus cards with another with another fiver but again uh, this will come out of reserves and they're mm -hmm. concerned about that they have about they have about spent half the fiscal reserves we have had if i remember if the calcu my calculations it are is right. about right yeah, yeah. The, the reserves have dropped below 800 billion now yeah
Um, but it's going to get worse, isn't it? Because if you listen to Jerome Powell and his press conference uh, on Wednesday, um, he was basically saying rates are going to go higher than you thought. They're going to stay there longer uh, than you thought. And if anything, we're more worried about um, under-tightening than over-tightening. Yeah, it's definitely going to get worse. I mean, if you look at real rates, they're still massively negative. So now we're entering the phase where you have to start really looking at expectations. But obviously, uh, inflation expectations have been very steady and they're not coming off. So they will have to tighten up more. The question is how much. And again, these kind of expectations come down very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. So people have probably been underestimating the the length and the and the, uh, the height of the interest rate. And also what they have in the US is uh, very sticky long term rates. So the short term interest rate is not having that much of an impact in the US economy compared to the long term rates, while it's having a massive impact on capital flows out of the region. So that's something to look at it as well. That's uh, the effect Asia versus the US. Yeah, agreed, actually. Powell's statement uh, read like the monetary version of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> he went from, he did pivot, though. He pivoted from being hawkish to being very hawkish. <laughs> <laughs> that's, another, that's another good word to remember. Pivoting, pirouetting. That, that's okay. the word of the month, the word of the month. Well, Bank of England was... Uh, although well, I was going to get on to that. Do you well, take any comfort that however bad things are here, look at the poor old UK? Well, I was going to say they are thankful. I heard one of the best jokes that I've seen for a long time. Somebody said, well, it is 56 prime ministers to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at, least, at least they stopped short of it. Yeah, there was uh, a little bit more... Uh, optimistic to the extent that it says markets might be expecting a lot more than it is actually likely to come but at the same time he announced that it's going to be okay Peter let's take a deep breath the worst recession since we have since the 1930s okay 1920s uh, yeah. Ni so I, I stand corrected <laughs> I stand corrected yeah um, Sam let me ask you about um the piece of news we had from John Lee yesterday um, that Hong Kong secured early accession to the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership RCEP which is the world's largest free trade agreement. Um, he said that uh, Hong Kong had formally requested accession in January and all 10 Asian member states, which are members of RCEP, welcomed Hong Kong's request. This is clearly good news, isn't it? And is this going to give a boost to our um, economy and to our trade? Well, <laughs> um, well, there's already very little bias anyway for trade between Hong Kong and other countries. And at the end of the day, it's usually if we talk about trades between those countries and Hong Kong, it's really a conduit versus China. So, again, if we're talking purely domestic, I think it's still, I mean, obviously in terms of PR, it's very good to show that Hong Kong is, is coming back on the stage of the world. In terms of real impact, I think that's still going to be fairly marginal. Exactly. The countries that join, join free trade agreements are the ones that they don't have free trade. <laughs> Hong Kong has. So Hong Kong can go around lowering tax rates or tariff rates on, on tariff rates it doesn't have. Is this an opportunity, though, as, um, as Paul Chan has said, and John Lee, to, to sort of connect the Asian countries with the Greater Bay Area? Uh, well, I'm not quite sure how Hong Kong actually has a strange privileged position, whereas it cannot join the United Nations, for example. It can join the World Trade uh, Agreement, and it can join external trade agreements, okay, uh, with the full agreement and consent of China. So I'm not quite sure how Hong Kong importing things without any taxes on them, somehow this is going to affect greater trade area because anything that comes into Hong Kong, into China, is subject to whatever regime is there. And actually in the greater trade area, there is a nightmarishly complex set of agreements of, in inverted commas, free trade with Hong Kong. I read them and my head spinned. 
I mean, I didn't. I really didn't understand them. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Sam, what did you make of the Financial Leaders Summit overall? Did um, is it showing that Hong Kong is now reopened and back in business? Uh, not really. Um, again, I think it's really a question of um, PR, which is needed by any standard, because Hong Kong has been closed for such a long time. But clearly, you know, having such a big notes for one summit, we're not back to normal when there used to be you know regular summits, which didn't have such advertising. And again, it's a lot about general things. Uh, and now we're down to practical implementation. I mean, if we're just talking about greater the area, as long as the um, integration, as long as you cannot cross the border, uh, I don't see how I can really integrate. And practically, I've been mean, trying to set up companies across the border in Shenzhen. I can't open a bank account. I can't recruit people and I can't go there. So until this is sorted, the rest is just general talks. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll carry on. My needle has been stuck that 75% of all Hong Kong's tourist trade comes from China. And people from China, not only they have great difficulties in getting visas to come across, but once they come across and they go back, guess what? They have seven days in hotels and three days at home. Okay, so in other words, it's, it's very easy to say that Hong Kong is open. It is definitely not open to China, and that's not the fault of Hong Kong. <laughs> mm. So I mean, I have to be very fair. It's not the fault of Hong Kong. There's nothing you can do. So if we're going to repair, I mean, our economy, we, we've now had a, an annual contraction for three years out of the past um, four. So clearly there's something going wrong locally, isn't it? That can't all just be blamed on the global uh, sort of macro environment and rising interest rates. But shrinking four and a half percent year on year, that's a real shocker, isn't it? Again, you know, we, we could point our finger to China, however unfair this might be. Okay, but Hong Kong cannot force China to open its frontiers with Hong Kong because it suits Hong Kong. You know, Hong Kong can open its frontiers with China, and the impact is going to be zilch. Okay? But we could get rid of all the existing conditions here. The yeah, 44 we, pages of rules and exemptions can. and all that stuff. We can, we can, we can, but that's not going to bring the 75% which is locked on the other side. We can open all we want. The Chinese will keep the barriers down. Mm. So we will have to rely on the other 25% that used to come from the outside. Well, okay. I still think there's something which can be done domestically. There's, um, and that's, 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 I guess, something which can be addressed by the government, like the outflow of... Uh, of people, the workforce coming out of Hong Kong, that's not, obviously there's a part which is internationally driven because people are downscaling around the region. But I think um, given that international sector has been reopening and now we have a new government and they've been starting to doing it, it's trying to reattract the, uh, to make Hong Kong more domestically mm -hmm. attractive for the international community outside of China is something which has to be done. Obviously China cannot be controlled what they're going to do, but there is some attractivity can be put back in Hong Kong. In, in fact, if anything, the news are bad because the Chinese health authority reconfirmed, and I love one, one expression which is very common in Chinese statement, resolutely going forward. No, they, are not, they are not moving from COVID. Well, I was going to ask you about that because we've yeah. had this extraordinary volatility in the Hong Kong markets. Dreadful October, the Hang Seng down almost 8%, and then this extraordinary rally um, in just two days. Uh, sorry, the Hang Seng was down uh, almost 15% in October, and then we had an 8% rally in two days on this rumour that this committee was going to be formed uh, to try and uh, look at easing the zero COVID policy. But look at what the, uh, the National Health Commission uh, said yesterday. I mean, its statement couldn't be any more clearer, could yeah. it? There is no chance that that's going to happen.
read my lips. They are not changing the zero COVID policy. And that means there is no tourist flow coming from China to Hong Kong, as I say, in the foreseeable future. And that could easily mean <laughs> more or less indefinitely, not forever. I mean, that's absurd to say that. But uh, yeah. So, Sam, now that's been clarified for investors and, you know, people should go and read that National Health Commission statement. Uh, they were absolutely clear that they were going to main, remain resolute uh, in sticking with the zero COVID policy. What does it mean for Hong Kong stocks? I don't think it was only the statement. I mean, the facts, like you saw at the Zhengzhou factory, it's been always very clear that's uh, short term. They're not going to be, uh, they're not going to change their policy. I mean, again, Hong Kong has to reinvent itself. Now it's coming to a position where, you know, Hong Kong has some strengths. Uh, I mean, always compared to Hong Kong to Singapore. Singapore obviously has seen an inflow, but they're now overburied by the excess of people coming there. So we have to reopen internationally, making it attractive. It's a great place to do business, not only with China, with the rest of Asia, and uh, Hong Kong has to play on its strength. Well, you could say that Hong Kong is an ideal place to do business with China without going into China, because this still is going to be difficult. Okay, well, have a good weekend. Thank you both very much. That was Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, Sam Favre, Chief Executive Officer, and Mandarin Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Coming up to 8.24 on the phone from Mumbai, India now is Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. Morning, Toby. Yeah, good morning, Peter. Um, let me ask you about, first of all, the Fed uh, meeting and what a dramatic turnaround we had in the markets from before uh, Jerome Powell started to speak when... Um, Investors took some uh, some comfort from the, the statement, which sort of indicated that uh, Fed officials were going to take into account interest rate rises. And then when Jerome Powell stood up to speak, basically knocked all that on the head, said interest rates are going up further than you think, going to stay there longer uh, than you think. And the Nasdaq uh, was down about 8% from its high since before Jerome Powell spoke. What What's going on? Yeah, that's a bit like putting uh, the cork back in the champagne bottle. Um, uh, impact, uh, I think it was an 800-point swing in the Dow uh, post-Powell's uh, comments. Uh, I think the word premature uh, was uh, the one that sort of jumped out from, from most people when Powell said it was too early to suggest that they're going to wind back or at least pivot in terms of the um, uh, interest rate rises and a view to saying that it's more likely that they'll overshoot rather than undershoot when it comes to rate rises. Now, the question really becomes, how is the economy performing um, with this demand destruction caused by the, the blunt sledgehammer that is monetary policy? And at the moment, I think that's still starting, it's starting to emerge, but yet to really be seen quite aggressively because tight labour markets are still probably confusing the Fed a little bit. So why is Jerome Powell saying this when it's almost he's in contradiction with his own federal FOMC statement, really, isn't he? Is, is he worried maybe that if markets start getting ahead of themselves, that in effect is, a, is an easing of financial conditions? Is, is that part of it, do you think, or is there something else? Well, I think it's all in, all in about the messaging, clearly. Um, so I, I wouldn't say it was completely inconsistent. I think it was probably clarifying maybe what it would meant by um, a potential pivot going forward. So I think it was probably just more a clarification of how the Fed see it. I suspect it's exactly that. They don't want the market to get any sense that um, uh, that it, yeah that this is it. And hence, then you get... Uh, effectively inflationary push just coming through over exuberance and demand. I think 
unfortunately, what you see with monetary policy is you have to you have to destroy some level of demand in the economy mm. to bring inflation down. And and uh, as yet, if you look at the payroll data, the private payroll data on uh, overnight, and then possibly a fairly strong payroll number tonight, the labour market conditions are still keeping prices high and still keeping demand relatively high. So until that starts to really impinge the impact of higher interest rates on inflation is just not there. So I guess that's what Powell's trying to say. Is, look, it's not there. We're not there yet. So if he follows through on this, um, does this reduce the, uh, the likelihood of a soft landing and make it even harder to achieve? I think it's always been a difficult challenge for the Fed and any central bank to throttle the economy to the extent of get, re- achieving a soft landing. We talked about it, I think, previously, trying to land a, a jumbo jet on, a, on an aircraft carrier uh, is a little bit of the analogy. And what we are seeing, of course, in the third quarter earnings is at least some forward guidance that's, that's more soft. We're starting to see maybe even overnight when we saw Amazon starting to say we're having a pause on hiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're starting to see some indications that suggest that the economy is uh, being gripped by these higher rates. But uh, you look at the payroll numbers, the labour market's still pretty tight. And, that, and that's true even in a country like the UK, where you've seen significant interest rate hikes and an economy going into recession. So mm. uh, there's still some dynamics at play that would suggest the interest rate hikes are still on, uh, at least for the short term. So what does this mean for the markets going forward? Because we've had sort of an, until this uh, Fed meeting for the previous couple of weeks anyway, we've sort of seen the US dollar come off its highs, bond yields come off their highs, stocks uh, rebound. Um, is, is that all over now? Is it back to where it was before? So we're looking probably this week uh, for the first week in a month where the Dow will finish negative, uh, as similar a two-week streak that the S&P and the Nasdaq are on. So, yeah, at least the immediate uh, bounce that we've had in the in the, in the month uh, of October is, is over. Uh, where it goes from here, we see bonds uh, uh, 10 years heading up towards that high levels around that four and a quarter. At the moment, four and a half, uh, 4.16. Two years at 4.73. Um, what's the terminal rate? Four and a half. Uh, yeah, I think it, at one point, equities have to be priced against the level of the bond yield. And as bond yields go up, equities are going to be under pressure. So, yeah, I think the initial enthusiasm of the last month certainly waned uh, and as reflected in data this week. So if you're bullish on US stocks and even global stocks, really what you've got to hope to see and pretty soon is is progress on the inflation front. We've, we've got to see data, haven't we, that really shows that inflation is starting to peak and starting to come down. Yes, so, so, so somewhat counterintuitively, you would see the economy slow quite sharply, ironically, mm. um, which is not necessarily good for stocks. You know, you're going to start to see some real impact on the leading indicators in the economy, some employment softness, uh, you know, those sort of things, which, um, you know, which you would think would be negative from an investor's perspective, but ultimately that's what is needed to reduce inflation for the longer-term benefit of the economy. So as investors are long-term players, if they start to see some demand destruction, some economic data to soften, that'll actually be a, a net positive um, because it should feed through. Noting, of course, there is a lag effect on rate hikes and demand destruction in terms of how inflation will play. So... Uh, investors are smart enough to work that out. Uh, so if, the, if we start to see that demand drop, we'll start to probably see the equity market firm up. OK, um, Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, let's take another look at the markets this morning. Uh, the SX200 in Australia is down 0.1%. 
Nick A225 slipping further into negative territory. It's off 1.6%. The Cosby uh, is flat right now. And then futures markets pointing to um, a gain of about 70 or 80 points or so for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Do please join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chats coming up after the news with Danny Gittings and Mike Rouse this morning. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, a few showers, maximum temperature about 24 degrees, one or two showers and sunny intervals in the next couple of days. And then it will become fine early to midweek next week. The temperature right now is 22 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the Half Hour News. The Hong Kong Rugby Union says it sold 26,000 out of a maximum 34,000 tickets for the Rugby Sevens tournament, which kicks off tonight after a three-year absence. The union's chair, Chris Brooks, said there'd been an uptake in sales after the government announced that food and drink could be consumed at the Sevens, although mask-wearing, social distancing and rapid Covid tests for entry would be enforced. He described the restrictions as not ideal. Clearly it's not ideal. I mean, we'd love to have no restrictions, but I think yeah, we respect the, the government policy at the moment and we've obviously had to put on what we think is the best event within the constraints. So uh, I don't think it'll affect the atmosphere. I think the rugby will still be very good. We've got entertainment. As we said, we've got the F&B opportunity as well. I think that's all the ingredients of a normal sevens weekend will be there. It'll just be uh, slightly unusual with some of the restrictions. Hong Kong Monetary Authority Chief Executive Eddie Yu says the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit was so successful that another one is being planned for next year. The three-day event, which ended yesterday, aimed to showcase Hong Kong as an international financial centre as it emerges from the COVID pandemic. The authority said over 200 international and regional business leaders from around 120 institutions had taken part. The former Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, is in a stable condition in hospital in Lahore after being shot in the lower leg at an anti-government rally calling for early elections. His party and the country's president have called it an assassination attempt. One person died in the attack and several were wounded. In a video circulating online, the alleged gunman is heard confessing that he tried to kill Mr Khan. A former government minister, Ali Haider Zaidi, witnessed the attack. That was about 15... 20 odd meters away when we heard the firing shot. There was a shooter on the left side of the container. He opened fire with an automatic weapon, but the gun's barrel was pointed down. Imran Khan has been shot in the leg. The German government has urged its citizens to leave Iran because of the violent suppression of protests there. The foreign ministry in Berlin warned of the risk of arbitrary arrest, interrogation and long prison sentences. Annalena Bayerbock is the German foreign minister. For weeks, we've seen the brutal violence the Iranian regime is using against its own citizens, people dying because of it. As foreign minister, I stand with the people of Iran. On the other hand, I also have a duty of care for all those in Iran who have German citizenship. That is why we're taking this step. Finally, Western officials say Russia has already withdrawn most of its commanding officers from the occupied southern city of Kherson as Ukrainian forces advance. They say many civilians, including pro-Russian political figures, have been evacuated across the Dnipro River. Banks have been reportedly emptied and museums looted. There'll be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning. Welcome back, Mike. Yeah, good morning again, Danny. And don't panic, listeners. 
It isn't Monday, it's Friday. In our main topic this Friday, we'll be looking at the problem of tree safety in Hong Kong following a spate of tree collapses over the past week. Particular concern is focusing on the accident that killed a villager in Tai Po last Friday after a government contractor delayed removing a tree which had been identified at high, as at high risk. And the accidents continued throughout this week with a 14-metre-tall Chinese banyan toppling over in Mong Kok on Tuesday, followed by a further 11 tree collapses during the typhoon. So why do these tree accidents keep happening? We'll talk to, be talking to experts who say they show the government has been planting trees in the wrong way. And we'll be asking what more can be done to prevent future accidents. And after nine o'clock, we're going to be looking at the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, which returned today after three years of COVID-induced suspension.